So, you know, there are people on earth that just think they can do anything because they're nuts. And I could, I could fall in that category. <laughs> well, it could, it, could, it could be true. We don't know yet. <laughs> I know one thing. I am not afraid. Let's just say it together. I am not afraid. The Lord did not give us a spirit of bondage, again, to fear. But he gave us a spirit of love, of power, and of self-control. Sound mind is self-control. And let me tell you, somebody who doesn't have self-control, what do you say about them? Man, they're nuts. So when God, God has given us a spirit of love, power, and self-control, he has not given us a spirit of bondage, again, to fear. I told y'all last week I have a love affair with conjunctions. I think these are conjunctions. They might be prepositions, but I believe they're used as conjunctions in what I'm going to say. The scripture is full of, of, of scenarios that are put out, if this, then that. If then. Oh, that could be a math problem. Oh my gosh, this is a, God is scholastic. It could be a math problem. If this, then that. It could set up a computer program. If this, then that. You're programming. If this happens, then that happens. Last year, by the grace of God, I had to help somebody with write a Java program, and I'd never done anything like that ever. So I'm going to tell you, now you'll know that I am one of the crazy ones who think they can do everything. My brother is a computer person. He has patents for things that run things in big companies and uh, programming patents and that sort of thing. So I called my brother Bobby and I said, hey, Bobby, do you know how to program in Java? And he said, no, Johnny, I, I, I don't. And he listed the things. He said, I just never did use it that much, not in the world I was in. And I said, well, I think I need to learn how to program in Java so I can help somebody who's all stuck and can't program in Java. And he said, you're insane. You can't just get a book and learn to program in Java. I thought, surely any human can do anything in one four-day stretch of time. And so <laughs> I got a book, Java for Dummies, because I surely was a dummy, and some, a couple of other ones or whatever. And then I found this incredible site in the UK that was a whole... Uh, training module. And so in the space of like two days, I did train myself to write a program in Java, which it passed the test, but it wouldn't really run right. But anyway, and so I'm sure that my if-thens were off the course. But there are so many things in life that if this happens, then that will happen. And so we like to think of God as like full of grace and so that there's no uh, place in God for if-thens. Everything is just on, full on. It doesn't matter what you do or what the choices are that you make or how you serve or how you walk with God because God is just full on and full of grace. And this is true, that He's full of grace. You're, you have righteousness in Christ. You have everything you need in God. But there are so many spots and places where the Lord will say, if this, then that. 
And I just want to lift out a few of them today. And we'll see where we go. In John 7, 17, in the KJV, the scripture says this, If any man will do his will, if you will do his will, then you will know the doctrine. If it is of God, or whether I'm just speaking out of myself. So Jesus put an if in front of knowledge. One of the things I think that we, we do as Christian believers, we want to know, I want to know how to do this, I want to know how to do that. I need to know this, I've got to know the theology. Because there's some wild stuff out there in the world right now. So you do need to know some theology and some solid doctrinal things. But if Jesus said that knowing the doctrine and having revelation was contingent upon a willing heart. Oh, <laughs> Jesus said, thank you, Judy. Oh, that was priceless. Oh my gosh, that was just priceless. <laughs> Jesus, I'm going to say it again because Siri didn't catch it. So... <laughs> So, Jesus said that if you want revelation, there's a pre-existing condition. If, then. If a man will do my will, that is an attitude of heart. Because if you don't have the attitude of heart of willingness of, yes, I'll do it, I will do your will, that comes before all the other things. David, after he sinned with Bathsheba, in his amazing prayer, in, in Psalm 51, he cried out to God and said, Oh God, give me a willing spirit to sustain me. So this willing heart, this willing spirit, is an if. If you'll be willing to do his will. So Janet was... I'm going to use you for an example, Janet. I'm just going to make you a sermon example. <laughs> if the conditions aren't perfect, but you're like, I'm willing. Or if you have that attitude in your heart and you cultivate an attitude of, I'm willing, I want to do this. I'm willing, yes, God, yes, God. Then more will come. And I love what Jimmy said. How many of you, when I started out learning to program in Java those days, I didn't know what, I didn't even realize about lowercase, all caps, how, oh, I was just in a state of complete fascination because people text and message things that are really things that come out of programming in Java, but I never even knew that. So the whole world's knowing stuff about how they're writing things in all caps and lowercase that we don't even have a clue where all that came from. We're just doing it because everybody's doing it. But when I started out, I knew like, had very, I had very little. I don't know that I had a whole lot when I got to the end, but I had more than I had when I started because I started. I was willing to start, even though my brother, who is a very smart feller, said, Janie, you're crazy. Uh, you cannot do that. You're nuts. And so, well, I had a willing heart. I wanted to do it. And so I want to say, that's an I was kind of an impossible thing. I can't say that I actually did that to any skill whatsoever. And if you asked me to do it right now, I would just die laughing and rolling the floor. So 
uh, we have to put in our hearts, and have in our hearts, and because we're getting ready to go into a season of fasting, I thought I would talk today about, <laughs> about a willing heart <laughs> for fasting and seeking God because we're going into our season of, of prayer and fasting. And so if anyone will do his will, then he will know the doctrine. Revelation will come based on your willingness, not just your willingness to hear revelation. There's another element of this. Oh, I love Revelation. Give me some more Revelation. I'm like, I'm listening to stuff all the time now. I even listen in my sleep. Uh, it's a little scary because it can go off of what you're on and get on crazy stuff while you're sleeping. And I'm real funny about what's going in my head. I don't want, no, I don't want anything odd going in my head. I want to know what it is. But anyway, so the willing heart, the desire is not just, tell me some revelation, give me another teaching. I got a brand new notebook. I love paper and pencil. I got myself a little notebook that's a certain color, it's so pretty, it's a pretty color of blue grain, and I got a pen to match it. So put me down somewhere so I can hear another revelation that I can write in that beautiful notebook with that gorgeous gel pen and do nothing with it. Woohoo, I have another revelation. And it's beautiful in writing, but I'm not doing anything with it. So it says, if any man will do his will. There has to be a willing heart, but not just a willing heart to hear the revelation. Not just say, yes, Lord, I'm willing. Now, now reveal doctrine to me. Give me more things. But if anyone will, is willing to hear and do. To hear and do. James, in the epistles, says that faith without works is dead. Because over the last few months, God revealed something to me. It's so precious to me. That faith requires action. That if you have faith, it requires not only that you believe it, that you have an understanding or revelation of it, it's going to compel you to take an action. There will be an action involved in that if you have faith. If you will do, then you will know. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to read it to you in the uh, Passion Translation. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Now God has offered to us the same promise. Entering into the realm of resting in confident faith. So we must be extremely careful to ensure that we all embrace the fullness of that promise and not fail to experience it. This passage in Hebrews chapter 4 is talking about entering into the rest of God and not rebelling when you hear his voice, but entering into the rest of God. For we've heard the good news of the deliverance just as you did, or just as they did, excuse me, yet they didn't join their faith with the word. Instead, what they 
heard didn't affect them deeply, for they doubted. So in, when God is saying, if you will be willing to do, then you will know, then you will hear a word. When you hear a word from God, you have to put action to it and mix your faith with it. Just hearing a word is not sufficient. Because God can say, do this, and if you don't put some faith with it and mix it with faith, it will not profit you. In the KJV, it says, they heard the word, same as we heard the word, they heard the word, but they didn't profit by it because they didn't mix any faith in it. And so knowing doesn't get you anywhere unless you know how to mix. Knowing is just, well, I know that. You have to take your faith that God has given you because every man has received a measure of faith. And if you've heard a word from God, there'll be a faith element in that word and you have to mix your faith with it. But faith is not something that you just sit in a crock pot and say, oh, well, I heard this word. I heard this word to uh, begin a place of prayer, to raise up a house and a place of prayer in that building over there. I heard this word, and so I heard it, and I've got it in a crock pot, and it's just cooking in there. Without mixing faith with it, which is action. You, faith is action. Faith is not passive. Faith is an active part. And so when, God let, when you mix faith with a word that you hear, you will be moving forward in some way. You don't want to get ahead of God. You don't want to run off on your own idea or whatever. You have to pray and be before God. But you have to have the intent when God speaks to put action on it. And if you have that intent, you'll hear more. And if you put action on it and you do a little bit, okay, okay, I feel like God wants, I feel like I want to sing this. So, well, she said she can't play it. And really, I couldn't play it. I would have butchered you. Uh, I couldn't have put those, oh, no way, no way. Um, so, I'm going to give it. I'm going to do it. She put the action on it. Put it out there, small amount. It seems small because you didn't have all the music it could have been. It didn't seem small to me because the content of it and the heart of it was really precious to me but what I want to my point is when we hear something it's not just for our own admiration to admire what we heard it's to mix your faith with it and then some action will come on that that will be we will take this action we will do this and so they didn't mix their faith with the word they heard they doubted well, doubt is part of faith. Uh, when, you, when you're believing for something or whatever, you're going to have doubt. It does come. Doubt is part of faith. Doubt is part of the process that increases your faith and purifies things down and sifts and tries you and causes you to reach deeper and hear more clearly. But it is definitely a part of faith to be able to express. Remember the guy who came to Jesus, say, well, he, Jesus taught his disciples tried to cast the devil out of his son, and they couldn't do it, and then Jesus came, and Jesus said, well, y'all couldn't do this because if, this kind of only goes by prayer and fasting. 
and their faith level wasn't where it needed to be or whatever. They didn't believe. And so the man then says to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. So if you think you can't ever say to God that you have unbelief, you'll never get the help that you get when you say, I believe, help my unbelief. I've got this much, give me some more. And so we start out, and this is a conditional thing. If you cultivate willingness of heart, not just willingness of heart to hear great things and write them down in books and talk about them and have a coffee and talk about it some more and post it up and tweet it out and gram it. Not way out beyond all of that to say, I'm willing to do, I'm willing to take action. I'm willing to mix faith in the word that is said and do what you're saying to me to do. I know Fran Bracken fairly well. I've known her for a long time. I'm thinking what she did today is not in her nature. Did y'all know that? That's not in Fran's nature. She heard something and she took an action. And I want to tell you, faith mixes. When you mix your faith and you take an action, something is released in that. That's what God has for us. So, how do you mix a word with faith? Well, you don't do it by human effort. Jesus said about human effort, which I call strife, striving. You can't add one hair to your head by striving. Mixing faith and this working it has more to do with the brokenness of your heart and the willingness of your heart to hear and obey and take action. It has more to do with that than you um, saying, well, I can do that like me my saying, well, I can learn to program in Java. That was just a human action. That was just one big stubborn human action that I got into doing. In God, you can't just decide, oh, I'm going to do this, and then you push and you press and you make it happen and you strive. And That's not how it works. That's not how he leads us. So there are two uh, chapters in the Scripture that I want to look at today. The, uh, Hebrews 4 which goes into talking about the rest of God, the Sabbath of God, and Isaiah 58. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Isaiah 58. And that's the scripture that we focus on a lot when we're getting ready to go into prayer and fasting. Isaiah 58 and Hebrews 4 share... An idea, a concept of God. In Isaiah 58 is the concept of the Sabbath. In Hebrews 4 is the concept of the Sabbath. And if we come into the understanding and embrace the understanding of the Sabbath of God, we will not be striving about doing what we think God wants us to do. The strife will go, we'll enter into this rest 
because of the Holy Spirit's work. In Isaiah 58, this passage starts out, you guys are very familiar with it. And we'll break this down a little bit more going into prayer and fasting. He really, he starts out telling them what they're doing wrong. You guys are fake. How would you like to have God say, you all are fake? <laughs> well, we just die right there. <laughs> Someone carry us out like Ananias and Sapphira. God said, we're fake. You guys are fake. You delight to know my ways, you say. You are like a nation that does righteousness, but you, you're fasting for your own benefit. Why have we fasted, they say, and you did not see us? Why have we afflicted our souls and you didn't take notice? We're trying to hear from you, God. We're fasting so we can hear and we'll know what to do. So we can do this. We're saying we're willing. We want to hear, we want to hear, we want to hear. Uh, well, he said, uh, this is where you guys really are. In the day you fast, you take your own pleasure. You're concerned about yourself. So what, he's, what he really focuses them on, focuses them on is... When you're fasting, you're focused on yourself. Your intent is on yourself. You've not transcended what I can get out of this to let your heart go out to what is on God's heart. Because God's heart, if we're Christian believers and we are so full of God and have so much and have everything of God, His heart is not about stacking us up with more and more and more and more. His heart is about, could I please get the plug out of your heart so what's in you that I've put in you for years and years and years can begin to flow out to other people. So this is what he's saying to them. You're focusing on yourself when you're fast, but guess what? I'm focusing on other people. So Lord, how do you fast focusing on other people when you're hungry? <laughs> There's not, nothing on earth will make you think about yourself more than being good and hungry. Like, my stomach is going to digest itself. <laughs> Verse 4 of Isaiah 58, he says, You fast for strife and for debate. We debate ideas, we debate revelation. God doesn't want us to fast for strife and for debate. He wants us to lay our lives out so he can use us for other people. It's not about what we know. It's about what we're willing to do that he tells us to do, which we don't even know what that is. The Moravians, when they started their 100-year prayer meeting, those young men that were there that day, they probably didn't know that he was going to ask them to sell themselves into slavery in the, in the East, uh, West Indies so that they could win people to Christ in the West Indies. They probably did not know what was going to be asked of them, what was going to be required of them. And I'll tell you today, we don't know. 
We don't know what he's going to ask. We don't know what he's going to require. We have some idea what we might do or what we're going to do, but we don't know what he's really going to require of us, getting us set free from focusing on ourselves to focusing on others that is on his heart. So he said, uh, this is a fast that I like. A day for a person to afflict their soul, to bow, his, bow your head down like a bulrush. That is, humble yourself, to spread out sack, sackcloth. Would you call this a fast, acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness? Now think about this. He is basically saying, this is my fast is an action fast. This is the fast I chose, for you to do something. For you to loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free. I believe with everything in me that this year the oppressed in this house. And your friends and your family that are oppressed are going to go free in ways that you've never gone free before. That God is going to put his axe to the root of the spirit of oppression in our families, in our lives, that we're going to begin to see a great harvest of those who have been oppressed, being set free from oppression. This is what I want. I want the bonds of wickedness. I want them loosed. I want to undo heavy burdens. Oh, Jesus, I'm not going to eat supper, so undo a heavy burden in Lynn Garden today. When God is giving us the understanding of undoing, undo heavy burdens... He will be giving us understanding of where is a person with a heavy burden and this is what you should do to lift that burden. It's an action thing. It's an action thing that has to do with other people. It's not we're going to fast to accrue to ourselves more wonderful so we can just say how wonderful we are. We're going to fast to break the thing that focuses on us that we can begin to focus on what is in his heart, in those that are oppressed or those that are poor, those that are broken, so that we can reach out and bring justice where justice is not around us, where we can set captives free. Jesus was a justice man. He really was. Sometimes we think if you get involved in anything, it's like social justice. That's just, demo that's just demonic. That's just not, that's all, that not modern, spirit-filled Pentecostal people don't get involved in things like that. I was reading about the life of F.B. Meyer, who was early, uh, late, last, some two centuries ago, I guess now, and then early 1900s. He was heavily involved in bring, getting uh, houses of, of getting women out of prostitution. Now we would call it trafficking. Setting people free from being trafficked. You know there are 40 million slaves in the world today? 40 million slaves. People in slavery, some kind of slavery today, now, in the modern age. And so this 
F.B. Meyer, who was a, he was a holiness guy. And these people in the holiness movement, they were the precursor to the Pentecostal revelation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so F.B. Meyer, in this holiness pattern, the holiness movement, he was involved with the oppressed, with the poor, with the needy. And he was involved with it, boots on the ground. And so, when we're fasting and asking God, when we're praying and we're setting up a place of prayer that will have much more intense prayer, there will be out of that going out, sending. It will not be a collection area where you can just collect things and recycle it. It will be prayer that puts us in where God's heart is. That's how Heidi Baker landed where she landed and has done what she's done. And so many others are living this life of reaching out to set the oppressed free. To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free. Verse 6 into verse 7. And that you break every yoke. On... Tuesday night, I want to have a fire pit. We're going to have a fire pit out there on the patio. And I want people to write down on a piece of paper their disappointments and their regrets for the last decade. The things that they've thought, oh my gosh, I wish I hadn't, I wish I'd never. And write down your disappointments and your regrets. And the yoke, things that hold on to you, Regret is a jailer. Write those things down and we're going to burn them right out there on that patio. Our friend Lisa Eichenhorst, who moved down from Ohio, she'll be here Tuesday night. She couldn't get here today. She'll be here Tuesday night. She's bringing a fire pit and we're going to set some regrets on fire and leave those things in another decade and move forward into 2020 with bonds broken off of us so we can be bond breakers. So we can go forth, not think, oh, I'm full of regret. One time I did something really stupid. I really did. I'm not going to tell you what it was. Y'all say, oh, she tells all kinds of things. Trust me, I don't tell it all. I tell what I choose to tell. <laughs> Same as you do. So, anyway, I, I was taking this class, or how, I don't know how this happened, but the Lord gave me a poem. I love Jesus, how he does this. He gave me this poem, and it starts out Regret, my old jailer's name. He told me his name was reaping what you sow. And from a prison cell, how was I to know? When the devil locks you down in bondage, you can't even tell what it is that's got you down and what its name is. So you think, well, I did this to myself. Well, I deserve this. Well, I'm sabotaging my own self. Oh, regret. Out with that jailer. Break the bonds off yourself. Let the power of the gospel set you completely free. And then you'll be a free setter. You'll be a person who'll be, have a clear heart and a clear mind to be able to break bonds off of other people. So we're going to set some regret on fire. We're going to put it to the 
we're going to torch it. <laughs> Somebody texted me, I'm going to put so-and-so in the fire. Oh, I, on New Year's, I'm going to put so-and-so in the fire pit. And I thought, well, I hope the FBI is not looking at my text. Because <laughs> they're going to get a knock on their door. <laughs> That you break every yoke. How many is every? Every. Every yoke. Every, 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 every yoke. Not break 99% of the yokes and leave one that's going to needle you till the day you hit your grave. Every yoke. The people around you breaking every yoke. God give us anointing and clear discernment and ability to be chain breakers wherever we go. We say to you, Father, we want to do, do it. We don't want to fast and you tell us something amazing and we carry on about how amazing that word was. We say to you, Father in heaven, we want to do your will. We want to do what you say. Give us revelation. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? Whoa. What do you mean, Jesus? You know what I've discovered? People that have the least give the most. When it comes to like give you the shirt off their back, I'm like, whoa, you don't have that to give. Or someone I know has very little food, they'll be like, I'm bringing you a dinner. I'm like, whoa. <clears throat> and the Lord said, you shut up. And don't be telling people how much they can give or not give. What's in their heart to do? <clears throat> you don't know how much I give them or what I'll give back to them when they give you a dinner. Share your bread with the hungry. And that you bring to your house. I have a problem with this. I'll be honest with you. Can I bring them to a shelter, Jesus? Bless. They got better services at the shelter. I can make connections at the shelter. That you bring to your house the poor that are cast out. This is like getting up against you. That's what I'm saying. When he's saying the thing that is what he likes, it's something that's going to get up against your flesh. It's going to be uncomfortableness. It's going to be something that's like, I don't know that I want that. This is not, this will be, this will interfere with my call the midwife episodes. Oh my goodness, I just, uh, the Christmas special of call the midwife was a, an episode in the Hebrides. And so... <laughs> I said, um, John Tyson tweeted out, uh, the book I'm reading on, I'm reading a book on the revival in the Hebrides. Don't read this book before, you, before bedtime. You won't be able to go to bed. The spirit of prayer will get on, all over you. So I messaged back, what book is it? And so then people started tweeting, and somebody uh, answered back, oh my goodness, I would just, I've been thinking about the Hebrides ever since I saw the Call the Midwife episode. <laughs> In the Hebrides, what's going to happen? What happened there? God is calling on us to give up the convenience. It doesn't mean we're going to need to go. We don't know what it means. It might mean that. 
We don't know what it means. But what he's saying is, don't give me a bunch of religious blah, blah, blah. Be willing to put yourself out there and let something get up close and personal to you to care for other people. Because this is not about you and your religious activities. This is about them. The ones who don't know. The ones who don't know yet. When church gets over trying to perfect church and gets into the business of giving what you got, however small it is, and letting it flow out and getting out, outside the walls of church, outside of the boundaries and the bubble that we put ourselves in of the possibilities of what we can or cannot do, then we will see some wonderful things happening in God. If you're willing to do. But if you're not willing to do, you will not know revelation that is his heart. Heidi had a vision once where she saw a chariot in the heavens. I think she saw this as an open vision. She saw the Lord riding across the heavens in a chariot. And in that chariot were people. And all the people that were in that chariot were completely transparent. You could see right through them. Except in their chest, you could see a heart that was beating in sync with the heart of the Father. God is asking us, let your heart beat in sync with me. The world is needy, hungry, lonely, desperate, broken, oppressed, bound. Get out of yourself. Get over your religious, oh, we're going to do this, and let your heart lean into something that will be death to your flesh. Oh, I love, Ann Fletcher and I used to fast like crazy people. We would fast, we'd fast long times just drinking water. I didn't even know you could do an alternative anything. Back then, we were young, and I was young, she wasn't, Ann was 20 years older than me, but I never really... It never clicked into me how much older she was till we got old. <laughs> and I thought, oh my gosh. Uh, so I was like 26 or 7, and she's like 47. I mean, I never even noticed a difference. But anyway, she'd hang in there. She could outfast me. Going on 50 years old, she could, we'd go like a couple of weeks, some nothing but water. We go long spaces of time just fasting, seeking God, praying for this work, praying in the foundations of things, praying for every little thing that was happening here, praying she had discernment for deliverance like nobody I ever knew. She could just call it out. There was nothing, she wasn't like a perfect person or anything. She had a temper that would scare the living daylights out of you. She could scratch it up and make you wish you'd never been born. She'd say to me, oh, there you go again, Jane, shut up. You're just pitying yourself. This self-pity is going to send you to hell. I mean, so she could, like, get down with you. <laughs> but that willingness to let go of her own personal comfort and let discernment come, that clear revelation, so you can get the job done. Because the job getting done is not consisting in ideas when it comes to casting out devils and breaking yokes. So when, when you see naked, the naked, cover them. Don't hide yourself from your own flesh. 
That's part of my greatest sin right there. Do not hide yourself from your own flesh. I neglect my family. I will do that. I've asked God to please help me not do that. Amy called me the day after Christmas and said, Mom, I forgot to call you yesterday. I said, well, hello, I forgot to call you. I was posting on your Facebook post and didn't even give you a call. I said, you cracked out of the same egg, Amy. What can I do for you? But that, that's not what I want to do. I would like to have called her on Christmas Day and remembered to call her on Christmas Day. I'm posting on her Facebook and not remembering to call my own kid. And she's doing the same thing. We're going back and forth on Facebook. That we love our families. That we lean into our families. That we care for our families. That gets up close and personal to you. Then your light will break forth like the morning. Your healing will spring forth speedily. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. So he's basically saying when you get to the death to self peace and you're willing to do these things that are highly uncomfortable and you lay aside the religious facade that you're doing something you're not really doing and you let the heart reality of it come into you and you're willing to do my will when I tell you what my will is, then hey, it's coming down the line and it's going to be amazing. And so that's what we're asking God in the time of prayer and fasting, that we can just yield ourselves over into real that we can let the Holy Spirit deal with us in reality what's in our hearts. What He wants to change, what He wants to do, and that he, we can allow and yield ourselves for the Holy Spirit to make us hungry to do what's in His heart. To lean into what's in His heart, to care for the needy, the poor. In verse 11, he gives some details before that about quit, you know, pointing the finger, calling each other names, being picking on each other. But when we take the focus off of ourselves, let him deal with us. Verse 11, the Lord will guide you continually. That is an amazing promise. If you'll stop the religious facade, if you will let my heart for the world come into you, if you'll be real in front of me, I will guide you continually. That is saying, I will do your will, then revelation will come. I will guide you continually. I'll satisfy your soul in drought. These are the thens. Then the Lord will. Then the Lord will. Strengthen your bones. Make you like a watered garden. And this is what you're going to be called. You know you're in trouble when your phone doesn't recognize your face. I mean, you know, if your phone doesn't recognize your face, you're really tired. 
I figured that out this morning. I thought, why is my phone not recognizing my face? I don't have sunglasses on. Here it is in the Passion Translation. He will continually restore strength to you. While we're seeking our own, we get more and more weary. When we do what Jesus said, lay down your life, take up the cross and follow me, and we let our self-life go and we give ourselves to the life that's in Christ Jesus, he will restore strength to us continually. You'll flourish like a well-watered garden and like an ever-flowing, trustworthy spring of blessing. Not a wet weather spring. A trustworthy spring. Your people will rebuild long-deserted ruins building anew on foundations laid long before you. And you will be known as repairers of the gap. This is the translate this is the passion, the footnote. Repairers of the gap. When it says repairs of cities, it's repairs of the gap. Restorers of paths that lead you home. Would you like to be known as, we are the people, or I am a person, who's a restorer of paths that lead people home. I want my life to be laid out in a way that it can be a highway. Like Psalms 84 says, in whose hearts talking about the people who love Zion, in whose hearts are the highways to Zion. We want out of our hearts and in our lives to be restorers of paths that lead people home. And Simmons says in this footnote, this is the Elijah ministry of restoration. This is the Elijah ministry of restoration. Let's stand together. I don't think I want to go into the Hebrews piece. I want us to just make the commitment to the Lord today. Looking toward a time of fasting, you know, you have times in your life where you, you yield yourself more to God and you're more broken and yielded to God and you're like, whatever, Lord, you tell me what to do, you deal in my life, you cleanse, you make me a vessel for you. And then you get times where you get dull. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. You know, the scripture lists the things that can just make you kind of dull. And so that your heart is not like clear and raw before God, naked and open before him with whom you have to do. <clears throat> it's an easy thing to happen because things move fast and the world moves fast. And you don't get to stay in the church building 
I want us to just ask the Lord to prepare our hearts based on our saying to him, I am willing to do. I am willing to do your will. Speak to my heart. I'm willing to set aside every religious facade. I'm willing to let you destroy my religious facades. And I am willing to care about other people and take my focus off of what I'm trying to gain for my own spiritual whatever. And my focus go to others. Lord, prepare our hearts. We just say yes to you. We say, have your way. Do what you want to do. We want this season of prayer and fasting to be one where we, are, we hear, where we break into the, to the reality that, and the Lord will guide you continually. That we won't just be hitting on a guidance here and a guidance there. But there will be a continual flow of revelation and understanding of where to go, what to do, who to speak to, how to minister, what to say to the people that we meet. We pray, Father, that you'll take us up on this. And as a church, we say, looking toward prayer and fasting, and looking toward Tuesday night, where we put to bed and lay to rest the things that have been disappointments and regrets from the past decade and the past year, and where we celebrate the things that you have done, I pray, Father, that on the first day of January, we'll find ourselves in a new place, and that in a place where the Holy Spirit is dealing with us with greater definiteness and reality than we've ever experienced as a congregation before. That you will move on us and lift us up. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be your hands and feet on this earth. We want to do what you have set for the church to do. And we say, thank you, Lord, for everything we've been taught and everything... Thank you for all the ideas in the world. Thank you for all that, Lord. But, oh, God, propel us. It really doesn't take a Ph.D. to feed a hungry person. You don't need to be able to program in Java to find a coat for somebody who is underclothed Father, we just say yes to you. And Lord, the people that we know that are oppressed, oh God, with addictions. Oh Father, with loneliness. Oh God, help us know how to minister your love and your life. Just deal with us, Father, till our heart is like the heart in that vision Heidi had, where the, those people were just transparent, and all they were was your beating heart. Oh, God. Oh, make it be so for us, Lord, that all that we are and all the stuff that shines out and all the facade and all we put in front of ourselves and 
say about ourselves that we'll all be absorbed into your beating heart. And that when people see us, they'll say, oh my, those people are so full of the love of God and the beating heart of God the Father. They're willing to do anything. They're willing to give anything. They're willing to pour their lives out. They're willing to miss an episode of Poldark. That's what we desire, Father. That is our hunger. That is our longing. That is our hunger. That is our desire. We've said it year by year by year by year. But oh, God, intensify that longing. There's a way, Lord, when you get hungry, you just get so hungry. Then you get hangry. Then you're so hungry, you're ready to do something about it. You're ready to hit somebody in the head for a bologna sandwich. Lord, I pray that you'll let the hunger in our hearts move into realms that motivate us and stir us and give us emotion that will take action. Do the things that will put us in another dimension because we long to see your power in our day. We want to see your power, Lord, not so we can say, oh, we've got the power of God at Shekinah. We want to see your power in the street. We want to see you setting captives free. We want to see crippled healed. We want to see mentally uh, oppressed people set free. We want to see addictions falling off. We want to hear the chains falling. And Lord, by faith right now, I pray you'll put faith. I declare over us a spirit of faith for action in this house. I declare... It's a spirit of faith that we will hear chains falling, that we will see those set free, those that are struggling to even get up out of their beds, be right-minded among us. And we believe to see those that are bowed down in infirmity to be set free by Jesus' power, by your love, by your goodness, Lord. That is our desire. That is our longing cry. We say yes to fasting. We say yes to prayer. We say yes to gathering together as a body to allow the corporate power of, of aggregate holiness and aggregate faith to take action against hell that's trying to hold us down. Ha. Devil, you lost. Ha, 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 ha. You lost, you lost, you lost. Ha, 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 ha. Now, every person has been given a measure of faith. Don't say you don't have faith. Everybody's got faith. Where do you put it? Where do you put it? You've got faith. Where do you put it? I know people that put faith in, in drugs. I'm not talking about medicine or whatever. I'm not a person who's weird about that. I'm not, I'm not weird. I don't mean weird. Oh, God. You know what I mean. I'm not dogmatic. That's the word. That's the word. I'm not dogmatic about that. But people put faith in drugs. For their oppression. They put faith in uh, the things. They put faith in substances. They take the measure of faith that God gave them. Instead of putting it in Jesus Christ and his blood. They put it in their Uncle Bart. To help them, save them. Or they take their faith and they put it in a substance. Or they put it in some 
perception they have of themselves that they build up the day long. I want to ask you today as your pastor to take the measure of faith you have and put that measure of faith, mix it with the word of the gospel that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the gospel, that he raised up on the third day and that he put in you in the Holy Spirit, the very eternal life of the Godhead is in you. Jesus Christ is in you by the Holy Spirit. And that life is in you, that living life. Put your faith there and watch things begin to change around you and happen around you. God bless you. God bless you.